Hello, bonjour, welcome to the first edition of the National Native Network podcast. The National Native Network is a consortium of tribal agencies across the country dedicated to addressing commercial tobacco use and cancer prevention. My name is Josh Mayo from the Intertribal Council of Michigan. We are the ones who manage this program. This program is funded by a grant through the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. No commercial interests went into making this podcast. These podcasts will be a platform to help disseminate information about the work being done by the people around the country working towards promoting the health of Native people. These podcasts will be published bi-monthly, which is every two months, and provide insights from leaders in the fields of cancer and commercial tobacco prevention relating to Native Americans. The intention is to help spread information regarding advancements in the fields, changes in practices, and to help link people with people and organizations across the country. This episode is a conversation with Richard Morceau from the Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Health Board, which is a member organization of the National Native Network. Uh, Richard will talk about the kind of works that Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Health Board does, some of the challenges they face in their region. Um, it's a very insightful conversation. It was conducted a couple of months ago during the National Native Network's annual partners meeting, which took place in Sacramento, California. Richard will tell you more about himself at the beginning of this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for joining us uh, for the inaugural edition of this podcast. Uh, I hope it will be be uh, around for a while. Thank you for for listening. Uh, here, here now is the conversation between myself and Richard. My name is Richard Mousseau. I'm the director of the prevention programs at the Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Health Board. Thank you for joining us today. You're someone who works for a, a group that does work over more than, than one state. I want you to talk a little bit about that, about those kind of issues of, of working on a state like that and and working on and having to work on projects where states have, you know, the different levels of helpfulness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So um, just so I really know, the Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Health Board works with North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Iowa. And in that, there's 17 tribes and what we consider uh, 18 tribal communities, including uh, Trenton Service Area up in North Dakota. But yeah, all those communities over four states, um, and then working with the state partners, there's definitely different challenges and issues with that, uh, especially as we talk about not just state differences, but geographic differences um, between those entities. But for the most part, uh, there's a lot of cultural differences and um, just numerous uh, challenges, you know, when it comes to uh, traveling. For instance, our organization's based at Rapid City, so to get to a place um, such as Sac and Fox, which is in Iowa, uh, takes at least a 13-hour drive. And so there's definitely challenges that you, you have to uh, overcome, and especially a lot of it, too, with the seasons. Um, we've had everything from blizzards and floods as far as traveling through with, uh, you know, parts of North Dakota and Nebraska and South Dakota and even parts of Iowa um, at different points over the past few years. So um, just definitely understanding that, 
you know, it, uh, there's a lot of ruralness with those states of North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Iowa. You know, there's not a lot of uh, interstates and main roads or even cities. So, um, so a lot of times, you know, always making sure that the weather is good and those different things. So a lot of our activities, we really focus a lot on those times that we can get out. So really our spring, summer, and uh, fall months are our big traveling months because the winter months it's just really hard and especially for communities um, when they deal with uh, extreme weather so definitely don't want people out there in extreme weather uh, when it's either too cold or, um, or or just even a lot of snow. Um, so how do you how do you navigate all the uh, all the different political climates the because um, working in one state it, it's it's can be tricky enough having to deal with all the different tribal governments on the state, but having to bring in four states and all, four states worth of tribal governments of different, um, of different uh, tribal nations too. So everything is different. Um, so how do you navigate that whole system? <laughs> I think honestly, it's uh, it's a challenge. Um, you know, as we talk about, you know, the states really have a lot of power and and what they choose and. Uh, choose to do in our in their healthcare systems and and other things as well as um, the facilities within tribes. Um, take for instance, uh, in North Dakota they expanded Medicare, and so because of that it means that more American Indians would be able to qualify and be able to have more healthcare services. So um, by not having that expansion, South Dakota, where there's nine tribes, opposed to North Dakota having four or five tribes, there's a lot of challenges that you know that we see on the South Coast side opposed to the North Coast side with those so the state legislature has that impact um, but even what I find really interesting about tribal governance of course is a sovereignty um, and self-determination um, so a lot of our facilities that are IHS uh, and and so many of them are looking at 638 or some of them have been going through the process and you know, there's a lot of challenges around that, but it's really interesting at, you know, that, you know, a lot of the saying is if you if if you've experienced one tribe, then you really are. You really only know one tribe because each tribe is unique in itself. And same thing with our state entities, um, you know, looking at the governance systems, you know, uh, South Dakota and Nebraska. I mean, especially look at Nebraska using a unicameral system. I mean, they're just uh, state politics, legislature, um, and all those different things impact uh, the political climate, impacts, you know, what tribes are going to do, what resources they can um, utilize, allocate, and even what the populations are going to do. Uh, one of the biggest things that we really notice is there's a really big difference between the eastern part and western parts of these states. Um, we pretty much call it East River and West River. Uh, take, for instance, in the Missouri breaks uh, the river, and most people feel like there's more similarities between eastern and western, or, or eastern North Dakota and eastern South Dakota opposed to western. Yeah, I, I, so, so basically, um, mainly due to the fact of the populations, because on the eastern sides of the state, there's big cities. There's everything from starting up in North Dakota to Grand Forks, Grand Forks to Fargo to um, going down further south to Sioux Falls, Sioux City, Omaha. So having all those 
communities and, and huge populations definitely impact what the resources and the different um, impacts that can have for a tribe. Whereas sometimes on our west western sides of the state, there's um, not those larger populations. So healthcare systems or different things um, adds another layer of complexity. Thank you for that. <laughs> that was really, uh, really informative. Um, I never really thought of that kind of stuff about the differences in, in geography. I mean, I, I see it in Michigan, you know, where I work. Um, the Upper Peninsula and Lower Peninsula are very different, and even the Lower Peninsula is different from the North, and then the Southeast and the Southwest are very different from each other. But yeah, I just I guess I've never really thought about how that how that impacts the work that we do. Um, and I want to speak about some of the work you do. Um, you guys have have a history with doing a lot of um, working cancer and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, uh, the colon cancer screening, the rolling colon stuff that worked in your Yeah, de- <laughs> definitely. Uh, luckily for us in our area, um, we've been building that capacity about increasing colorectal cancer screening uh, within our tribal communities by utilizing the rolling colon and getting it out to our um, numerous health fairs and uh, community events. And I like that there's even events that target uh, a lot of that 50 and older population that we're, that we're usually targeting. But just in general, we even just try to have it at um, populations that um, just fit our normal adult population because we found with that it's such a good educational tool. So we do a pre and post test. So by doing that pre and post test that we've learned um, by increasing that knowledge um, at younger ages, there's more of a likelihood of people to get screened for colorectal cancer screening. And luckily, a lot of that work has really built the capacity to um, pursue funding sources. Um, just recently, within this past year, we received a grant from the CDC. Uh, we call it the Great Plains Colorectal Cancer Screening Initiative. It's a five-year grant that was awarded from CDC. Our first year of funding is $732,400. So with that, you know, they're really focusing um, CEC on, on uh, four evidence-based interventions that are really going to make um, a big impact. And of course, you know, integrating those systems, um, we really see a lot of our IHS and, and facilities we work with um, utilizing a lot of those EBI practices here in, in the future, but even some of them kind of have already been doing it, but just not knowing that they've been doing it. So. We're really excited at that possibility of not just the grant, but of increasing our colorectal cancer screening rates because uh, for historical purposes, um, we've we've always had high rates of colorectal cancer. And even some states, um, take for instance in South Dakota, the American Indian women's mortality is twice as high than, than the other races. And so understanding that impact that you know, that we're able to have that hopefully we can decrease that mortality rate so that way we're more even with other races because seeing those health disparities is what really drives a lot of our work um, just because we we don't want to see that within our populations. We want to do everything we can to, you know, set the bar and, and, and at least even if not decrease in our population. So we're really grateful for uh, for the funding and to be able to work with CDC on this uh, project, and hopefully, um, we'll definitely see big outcomes here very shortly. Yeah, that's great. I hadn't heard um, hadn't heard that you'd gotten that uh, grant. So that's great. Um, and funding like that is important, especially for people in in your region, in my region, um, where we see those really high uh, 
cancer mortality rates. And I'm not sure what your IHS region is like, but the Bemidji area is the least funded of them all. So it's really hard to get those those dollars to help. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about um, just getting the work that needs to be done, but well, maybe not having the ideal amount of funding. I mean, there's not the ideal amount of funding in Indian country at all, but I feel like those of us in, in the northern Midwest area got, kind of get forgotten about. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, underfunding's been a huge issue. Um, historically, you know, especially if you look at the Indian health healthcare system, um, IHS facilities, uh, the, the funding levels that they get, um, and you compare it to other institutions and per person per dollar it's just a strong it's just amazing how low it is and really looking at my the biggest challenge I see is that you know you even look at the prison system and they receive a, a lot more funding and they actually haven't been reporting on it for I think over the past decade just to um, not not want to compare it but even within the IHS system uh, or that funding, you know, sequestration also had a big impact on IHS. So, um, you know, when you're talking about the resources and the dollars, um, you know, cancer screening, especially colorectal cancer screening, um, just we, we really uh, don't have those as, as high of priorities and, and those next steps of treatment as, as we'd like to um, for, our pop, for our people. And so ultimately, you know, when we do get grants, I mean, regardless of whatever it is, we do try to find ways to stretch it as far as we can and do as much as we can. Um, especially with this, we'll be working with 19 healthcare facilities and a partnership with the Great Plains Area IHS. Um, and I feel like it's important to have those partnerships, especially to see um, what resources they can provide and what we can. Um, just almost when you when you start doing you know, big projects like this, you really have to get an idea of um, how best you can really collaborate and be able to utilize the most resources without duplicating. Because um, that's that's always a huge challenge is um, making sure that, you know, specifically you're reaching your target audience with, with, the, with the interventions and resources. So some of those resource, resources that we talk about um, sometimes don't always come in personnel, but luckily, you know, for us, we do have a program manager, two patient navigators, and administrative coordinator that will be working on the project. But even so, helping communities with small media and marketing, we're working with uh, CAT Communications, our uh, PSA, or actually multiple PSAs, and running on Good Health TV, which runs on all, all the TVs at these IHS facilities. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to approach it as we talk about strategies with the role in colon, uh, media, and 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 also seeing, you know, what resources are, are within each community. Um, you know, one of the things that luckily we're starting to see more is just um, more people being involved, you know, and in, in most of our communities, it, it just varies whether it be community health representatives, public health nursing, um, you know, d different parts of tribal uh, tribal health staffs, so uh, health administration as well as IHS. So for us, you know, working with those different entities, um, it's it's going to look um, a lot better as, as more people get on board and really try to um, make that impact for their community 
and to really try to increase the screening. Very well said. Huh? <laughs> um, I, I do find it, you always do find those people in those communities that are there to step up and really and really help drive initiatives forward. I mean, we may be underfunded and sometimes understaffed, but the work always gets done, It's and it's great to see that. Um, I want to switch gears a little. Um, so, well, tobacco prevent commercial tobacco prevention is one of the, or prevention is one of the aspects of the National Labor Network. But I wanted to bring up uh, a, a different kind of topic with with smoking. Um, so, you live in an area with uh, where recreational marijuana use has uh, <laughs> has made the news recently. Um, I just wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, um, I really can't say a whole lot in the sense that um, I, I don't know any of the specifics other than, you know, what's really reported in the news. Um, you know, I, I know one of our tribes was um, was was thinking about the idea of a, a resort with marijuana. And um, but for uh, but like I said, there's not really really any disclosed information on or why or why not that you know that didn't happen or or those types of things so I think in the future more information will come out and you know I, I know just in general with our area with um, the Ogalasu tribe we've tried to do different things around hemp and um, do do dif- different things and uh, around education around those uh, topic areas but like I said a lot of that is you know really um, still touchy mainly due to the fact of um, I think in our area, we haven't really built the capacity of, of knowing what the implementa- implications would be if there was to be legalized marijuana. And I think impo- it's important to start learning from other areas that have um, basically legalized marijuana, you know, Colorado and Washington, of the impacts. You know, economically, they have had, you know, great success, but they've also seen challenges too. Um, some of the challenges, of course, uh, you know, seeing their rates of poison control um, go up or the amount of, you know, intoxication because they're um, not just calling it alcohol, but also marijuana substances. So, you know, there's there's a lot of those challenges. And if you don't really have the workforce or that, that infrastructure to be able to handle some of those things, then passing legislature and legalizing, um, I think, is definitely challenging. And, and so I think a lot of times, so it's really important to really learn from those groups um, and, and, and to see and then really make a good decision on, on really what, what, what should be best for not just uh, overall economically, but what's best for the people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I agree. I'm, I just I'm curious because there's some some rumblings in Michigan with some tribes in Michigan about looking towards that kind of stuff, too. And, and it's a it's a way to exercise sovereignty, but. At the same time, I think I think it could be problematic, and I don't know. It's just it's an interesting subject going forward, and a part of me feels like it's gonna raise some more uh, <laughs> interesting issues for the for public health in, in native country going forward. And, and I just want to mention, um, I I'm kind of proud of those groups too that you know, uh, looking at other parts in our region. Um, I know Fond du Lac and. Wisconsin, they they banned e-cigarette, or and it's mainly because the electronic de- delivery device. Because you know, as we we're finding out more of it being used for other substances, but even other areas using 
you know, those types of devices for marijuana. So I think when it comes down to FDA and regulating those and, and at the same token, um, but more education needs to be out there as, as well as what impacts can happen with even things that are legal that are being utilized for other things. Right. Yeah. I was, I was going to bring up e-cigarettes and I think you've touched on, on it well there. Um, and they are being used for other stuff. Uh, I knew they were being used for marijuana until our meeting that we're at right now. I didn't know that they'd been u- being used for things like meth and heroin also, which is just, <laughs> it's very scary to think about with them being legal in some states poorly regulated where, where it's easy for people under the age of 18 to get a hold of them. I think e-cigarettes are a really scary thing, mainly to the fact that you know, because they're not FDA regulate, regulated, you don't know what's really in the cartridges, and you don't know really the con- the content levels of the uh, of the nicotine in those uh, delivery devices. So, you know, as more literature and more information comes out, you know, I think we'll we'll find that you know it, it isn't the best you know element to basically quit smoking. That a lot of you know, different groups or entities may have people believe, but it's just, you know, with this day and age of having um, numerous different nicotine replacement therapies and uh, and with the help of quit lines and different options and, and services may be provided at a local, uh, regional or state level that, you know, if we're able to utilize those resources more, um, we will we'll have a better quit rates and, and more success by using those um, using those approaches more so than uh, elements of electronic e-cigarettes. Right, right, yeah, and and the subject of what's inside of them is is really interesting. I've know I've seen studies where some of the nicotine free ones, a lot of them contain nicotine and. Some of the nicotine ones don't contain any. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, and it, it's one of those things we don't have testers. And, um, you know, as as they start to find more, you know, FDA-wise, CDC, um, you know, I think more testing and more of the long-term results will come out. You know, it's just, it's still been a fairly recent thing, but um, the increased usage of them and the, in, just the, uh, the increased exploitation of, of them is, you know, I, I think that's really a cause for concern in, uh, in the country, and especially, you know, not just there, but also in Indian country. So I think we really have to look at those things that are being utilized, and, and especially when, you know, they can be utilized for other things as well. Um, and so I'm really, you know, proud of, you know, places like Fond du Lac for, for, for making those elements. And I would even um, even mention too, um, colleges that have been doing that. Um, there's a college in Bismarck, North Dakota, a tribal school called United Tribes Technical College, but UTech, um, they actually include in their, um, not just smoke-free policy, but even banning the use of e-cigarettes. Um, they did that January 1st of uh, 2014. So uh, looking at, you know, what they've been doing around that um, as well, uh, you know. So just looking at colleges, tribes, and those different entities, it'll be really helpful moving forward. Aren't aren't uh, hopefully not having those as available in our tribal communities. Yes, uh, it's great when you hear about that. Uh, and for to have banned them in 2014 is just really that's yeah. it's really impressive. Yeah, they were definitely cutting edge, and you know, and I just keep coming back to 
um, policy really can have a big impact. Uh, you know, actually, we've had one of our tribes in our region, the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe, um, go smoke free. And, you know, there's challenges with with that. And, you know, I even remember um, South Dakota, we've only been a smoke free state for just around five years. But um, but I remember the transition. It's never an easy thing. Um, but you look at what you're doing for the overall health of the people and it does. It has big impact. And so I even look at to um, some Wapton, they um, have banned energy drinks for people um, under the age of 18 of buying and so you, you look at what the possible health implications that that could have for their future generations and and so I'm really grateful of these tribes that are really thinking about the future of their generations and because ultimately yeah I know economically there's things that um, tribes that we we want to do but there's part of it too that we also have to look at you know what's best for our future generations Right, and that that's really what's the important thing, and it's it's really impressive to see tribes around the country um, taking those proactive steps. And I hadn't heard about the the energy drink um, ban under for people under age eighteen. I think that's really important. Um, those, I mean, we don't know the long term health effects of those. There's <laughs> yeah, both both that and e cigarettes, you know, yeah. and and uh, you know, we we just keep coming back to, um, you know, I really look at health disparities you know especially among our 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 people and i look at you know our state of south dakota you know as we talk about having high smoking rates um highest in the nation in in our region um but even in south dakota seeing the life expectancy for american indian being 59 whereas other races it's 80 you know that 21 year age gap is not acceptable and so you know these policies or this decision making you know really has that impact of possibly increasing the the life expectancy and and so our our elders won't be elders in their 40s mm-hmm. or maybe even 30s in in some of our tribal communities you know and, and i think the goal is you know for me um you know i i want to live long enough to be an elder and i want to see elders um, or our, our people live long enough to be elders. And so I guess for me, that's why I've always been passionate about uh, this work in tobacco and cancer because I feel like we can make those great strides and, and ultimately, you know, flip the switch on, especially those types of disparities. Yeah. Um, is there any uh, tobacco programs that you want to speak about that you work on? Definitely. Well, I... I I guess when I started working at the Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Health Board, I started working on the tobacco program. And just this past year, I also um, kind of oversaw our tobacco program. Um, and they've done great things in our tribal communities, you know, helping tribes with their own data. Um, the American Indian, conducting the American Indian Adult Tobacco Survey, National Youth Tobacco Survey. So really helping tribes get their own data to really be able to not only push their own policy, but do education and target, you know, that specific population that is using commercial tobacco. Um, but what I want to say is, um, you know, of a lot of the work that's been done around education, policy, um, I, I just keep coming back to, I'm just really proud of the amount of history that, you know, that our tribes and, and all the great work that's been done in the communities of seeing a lot of uh, coalitions grow and, and do great work. Um, and even some of the groups, uh, you know, mentioning 
Turo Mountain, they, you know, have, they got a five cent cigarette tax and they are always looking at increasing it so they can bring in other resources to do more tobacco prevention or, or other things that, you know, it's other important healthcare work. Um, but even looking at just in, in general, we're kind of making this transition now, um, CDC funding kind of switched from tech centers um, to basically uh, our tribal tech centers to good health and wellness. And so I think it will have a really good fit there, and especially along the lines of doing a lot of great best and promising practices. Um, one of the things that I always really like about best promising practices are the five A's um, and looking at some of the different cultural adaptations of that training and how it really helps you know communities to you know know how, how to go through a brief intervention and at the same token let them know the resources and nrts available in their community so it can really make that impact of people that are trying to quit um, it gives them as many resources as they can to quit so luckily we did two of those um, this past year and had over 40 or 50 people in attendance and we've seen great success in a lot of our, our uh, tribal partners especially with NHS facilities um, whenever we do conduct it and the impact that it has on tribal communities. So I'm just excited by a lot of that great work that um, we just look to keep assisting tribes with and keep seeing move along with not just good health and wellness, but um, our cancer program as well. You know, there will always be initiatives that are just specifically community clinical linkage that will have more so than, than them. So even though their their tobacco efforts, um, you know, will be very specific, but so will ours. And I guess our goal from this and and uh, resources is to be able to approach the tobacco prevention control from multiple angles. All right, great. Uh, thank you. Um, so, uh, do you have? Do you want to uh, give us some contact information in case anyone listening wants to get a hold of you or? ask you more questions about anything that we talked about yes well and of course you know um there's multiple programs and uh departments and entities at the great plains tribal chairman's health board um and i really recommend uh going to the website um it's just www.gptchb.org so it's just our acronym for our organization um and what's really great is you'll be able to see uh all the different elements and grants that are and projects that we're working on at the organization and it's really exciting to really see um you know not just the the amount of different areas but in expertise but you know i i really feel like there's a lot of different support and aid towards uh, health advocacy and health support on multiple levels um from our organization and seeing the public health aspect um especially in our department and and other departments it's really great to see a lot of the work being done so always uh, connect to that website and then of course um, anything with prevention programs you may contact me or my staff um, which they're always really helpful um, at uh, so basically uh, you know you can actually go into our staff and be able to pull up any one of us but of course my email address is richard.mousseau at gptchb.org 
and my extension is 110 so feel free to contact me for any other questions or thank you uh, it is a great website I, I just want to say that I've I go on it when I'm looking for resources and stuff it's it's really good <laughs> cool thank right. you yeah, yeah, thank you for it, thank you for doing this no thank you yeah. thank you Josh yep. appreciate it Thank you for listening to the, the first podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation between myself and Richard. I hope you learned something, uh, if, even if it was just about the work that Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Health Board does, um, the way, the, the resources they have that you may be able to, to take advantage of. If you have any questions, concerns, feedbacks, critiques, um, compliments you can send them via email to nnn at itcmi.org uh, we also have a Facebook and a Twitter that you can you can follow us on social media to learn when the next podcast is released the dates of our bi-monthly webinars which feature speakers from around the country similar to how the podcast will be used we post information um, regarding cancer prevention and commercial tobacco prevention. We have a website at keepitsacred.org, which has a large resource library, a blog, an events page, um, and a lot of resources on tobacco prevention, commercial tobacco prevention, and cancer. It's a very large project that we're very happy to have this website up and running it's easy to navigate. Um, you can, if you're having any large events, you can send them our way again via email to nnn at itcmi.org, and we can put them on our events page. You can find out about a lot of great events. And again, thank you, Miigwech, for listening to this. I hope you join us again for the next one. Thank you. Goodbye.